Welcome to the Griffin Podcast from Beach Hall School, Riyadh. This is the podcast to connect with the school at a deeper level to find out what's going on now and what's happening in the future. In this episode, our very first, we speak to the founding principal, David Ardley. I asked David why the school opened recently. We talk about the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, the British heritage that comes with the school, the Saudi 2030 vision, and much, much more. So for all that, and to find out about David himself, come with me as we step into The Griffin and find out everything from the founding principal. It's David Ardley. David, thank you for joining us on the podcast. How are you today? Hi, Simon. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm really good, actually. Today's a good day. Uh, Awake, upright, breathing, and uh, school's wonderful. So yeah, good place. Multiple reasons to be having a good day there. I like that. This is the first episode of the school's new podcast. Tell me, first of all, why you feel podcasting is important for Beach Hall School Riyadh. Thank you, Simon. I've engaged with podcasts for a while now, personally, and with with, with, uh, other colleagues. I just think it's it's a wonderful forum for a for people grabbing a snapshot opportunity just to to listen to a, an idea a philosophy um you know a thought process on, on on anything really i use it for education i am now using it with you with uh with our school beachville school here in riyadh but i use it for my interest be it you know sport classic motor cars you just gain insight and you can do it on the go you know walking on public transport on the train in the gym a podcast is a really good way i think a good medium just to just to chill and get some useful information or not. I mean, that's the nice thing about podcasts. You can select and choose what you want to, you know, dive into or, or choose to ignore. And I think it's a wonderful thing. OK, so some of the people that are listening to this this podcast right now, they might be wanting to find out a bit more about the school. Uh, it's a relatively new school, of course. So, so just tell us a little bit in a snapshot w- what the school is all about, how long it's been there for. You're the founding principal, what that actually means as well in a nutshell. I got involved in this project uh, around about June last year. I was uh, in- invited to uh, uh, think about a brand new school, uh, a new build, uh, a new idea in a, in a new country and culture. I love the vision, so I entered into it. So I'm the founding principal at Beach Hall School in Riyadh. Riyadh is uh, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It's a place I'd never been to before. Um, and the opportunity just to be involved, uh, not just as a, as a leader in a new school, but in a project in a country which is going through massive change quite quickly. And I think uh, everyone you know, has, has read and seen all the developments that are going on in Saudi. So that was my first, I suppose, hook for me, an opportunity to be involved, A, in a new culture, B, in a new, a new project. And it's a scratch-built project with a, project with a, with a new building. So we opened in uh, August uh, 22 with a completely pioneering staff, all employed locally. The only People who came in from uh, outside were myself and some of my leadership team, and they were from Dubai and UAE. Uh, UAE and, uh, and so that was where we started. And as I said, we were all put in together. None of us had met before. Uh, and, and I love that. You know, you, you had to gel or, or, or the, the project wasn't going to work. And I was blessed because I had such an outstanding team across leadership, teaching, admin and support. But I think the key thing for us here, the vision was driven by our chairman, and our chairman had a, an idea to bring... Uh, uh, a non-selective premium education into in, into the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Being based in Riyadh was just it was a geographical thing related to where he he's based himself, and it was just a massively exciting opportunity. And then the partnership with Chatsworth Schools, who are our kind of operational uh, providers for this, was also really important because they are a well established and b very successful at what they do. And this was the second of their overseas schools, and so I had a confidence. Uh, and an excitement that their vision that they wanted for this, in line with the chairman's vision, he's leading on his heart on this, not just the the financials, uh, was an opportunity to be involved. So that's what brought me here. 
And here we are six months later. So some of the schools that I visited in the past in the Kingdom of Saudi, Saudi Arabia and also in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, they, they tend to be almost like UK plant schools where it's very much British education, but also largely British staff there. Now, you mentioned that a lot of your staff there are local staff. Correct. Why was that important to you? Important for two reasons. The vision for the school was also... Uh, born out of the fact that we're tied with the Ministry of Education. That was very important for us. The idea of coming in as a, dare I say, an independent school from uh, from outside the kingdom and just planting ourselves and going for it, which lots of schools have done successfully here, was not the vision that the chairman had or indeed Chatsworth. The idea was to have a school which was very proud of its British heritage, which we are, and our name Beach Hall, Riyadh comes from Beach Hall School, which is a school within a Chatsworth group, which is over 100 years old. And if James the head is listening to this, he'll smile, but that's where our, that's our brother or sister school, as you say. So the proud British heritage is one thing. Uh, the international curriculum for paying attention and, uh, and to the detail of the Saudi curriculum was something very important. And the third thing was the sensitivity to the culture here. You know, with the Saudi 2030 vision, having buy-in from, you know, from, from, from the locality uh, and an understanding, I think, of that was very important. And as, a, most, as I said, all of our staff, most of our staff, have come from the locality in terms of international schools and here in Riyadh. They've been, they've been here for a while. And there's only... Probably four out of the 35 plus staff that we have currently uh, who've actually come in from outside the kingdom. And, and that was quite important to us, actually. So we could focus on delivering the curriculum and the new school that we wanted to do without having to support staff, I suppose, is the right thing in terms of settling into a new culture, a new place, because most of them are in accommodation already. They've already been in the kingdom. They have the language and so on. So that made some certain elements of it easier for us to facilitate, if that makes sense. Now, I was going to ask you why Saudi Arabia, but I think you may have given me a sneak peek into that because you mentioned something about the Saudi 2030 vision. Is that the reason why the country was chosen? I think possibly. I mean, the chairman certainly went out looking for a partnership with a with, with a group of schools that he he felt would would be robust and and bring that kind of said that British heritage into into what we wanted to do, but also had experience of operating schools to a high standard, you know, premium schools to a good level. That was very important. That's why Chatsworth schools uh, were brought into this, and Anita Anita Gleave as CEO was 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 very much instrumental in in that partnership and working that forward because that's what she's very good at, you know, striking those partnerships. So that that was the key thing. I think coming into the kingdom, it is. Right now, opportunity. The kingdom are looking for investment, and not financial, but looking investment in their education systems, and that's across the board, from university down to you know kindergarten and you know, kind of junior schools and all that. And so, I think there's a there's a big opportunity to learn from each other, and that's why we didn't want to separate the Ministry of Education from you know a kind of big. Rash is the wrong word, but a big independent school just coming in, you know, feet first. And so what we wanted to do was have that partnership so we could learn and, and breed off each other. And I think that's been very important going forward. And certainly in the past few months, the, the partnerships that we forged, the talking with people on the ground here, you know, in, in the various ministries of education and so on, has been vital to us, our success in a way of, of moving forward. Because there's an understanding that we both want to work together on this, you know, and uh, there's a common aim. But the 2030 vision, very much so, is driving a need to to educate everyone on the current education system in Saudi, the, the education systems coming in, and then kind of bring them to each other, so that we get a, a a kind of plateau of excellence across, you know, the goods and the bads and experience in both sectors. But they bring them together, so we have a a continuum which is is kind of world leading. And that's, I think, that's probably true with everything that they're doing in Saudi at the moment with the vision. They they want to be world leading on this but they do so with diligence and they do so with um you know an attention to detail uh so and they do 
look very carefully at who they um, support to bring into the kingdom, shall we say, whether it's Riyadh or somewhere else. And that, that's a key thing. That's great to understand uh, that the, the sort of the higher level um, rationale behind the school, you know, coming out to, uh, to, to Saudi Arabia. Tell me something about the pupils in the school, about the children there, about the journey that they go through and what makes the school different to other schools? The majority of our children are from the locality, Simon. So we have around about 70% of our children are Saudi children, but they tend to be from Saudi families who've been outside of the kingdom for periods of time to the United States, to the UK, Canada, South Africa, all over the place. And they're coming back into the kingdom now, given the the, the kind of change and the 2030 vision and, and the things that are coming on. So they're coming back to family roots, they're coming back to their communities. And that's actually part of the driver for what we have. So our school is a is um, a non-selective school, so we don't have any entrance exams or anything like that. All children are welcome to come into the school. And to do that, we also provide various mechanisms to support children uh, across all areas of, of mainstream and learning support education so that we can have a genuine kind of, uh, I suppose, inclusive approach. As, as I said with the staff earlier, which is a very inclusive approach nationally, uh, we're also the same with the children. So the idea here is that we can offer an education that everybody can uh, gain benefit from uh, for where we are, and I think that's the f- I think we're the first school in the kingdom we were when we opened to offer that really um, in the same way as we have a no homework policy. You know there isn't that we have we have a definitive no homework policy, which is part of the Chatsworth Group's kind of take for the majority of the schools. Um, but that's also absolutely part of what what we're about because the idea of going home, being with family, eating with family, I know, watching a film on Netflix, other channels are available, having that quality family time, that's that's as much as education as it is with your maths and your design and your you know your languages in the classroom. So that's kind of the guiding philosophy with it, Simon. It's a kind of um yeah, open door. It's interesting when you talk about things like, you know, no homework policy, because you know, on the one hand, you I imagine that you're going to attract some families with that kind of policy. On the other hand, you might you might uh, encourage some families to go and look at other schools. But uh, I, I imagine that's a good thing, really, because, you know, people often say that if you try to appeal to everybody, you, you end up appealing to, to nobody. No, absolutely. I think the, you know, I've had parents kind of frown when I've said that. We have it in one of our main uh, kind of graphics in our marketing suite at the school when we bring parents in. The no homework policy is something which, as I said, we stand by, but the majority of our children take take work home they take books home to read they do artwork they'll they'll do a podcast for example we're introducing that type of thing even though they, they you know with, with the younger kids but it's self-led from the te- from the students they want to do it because they've been inspired by what's going on in the classroom and i think that's the key difference there when we move up through the school and we get on to secondary because we you know we we've got gifted and talented uh, children in the school as well who aspire to ivy league russell group or you know, to work in their parents' business, whatever it might be, we also have to give a robustness there. So if we're looking at university entrance and tertiary education, of course, there's going to be work outside of the classroom in terms of hours and diligence that kids need to do. But that will be self-led by the students because we've cultivated that mindset within them as they go forward. But the idea is very much we won't stand in front of a child and say, right, go home and do, you know, X questions on your modern languages homework or X questions on your on your maths. But if children go home and we're seeing it, they go home because they want to. And if we can inspire the children in our classrooms, and I'll come on to that later, actually, in the question, that the design of our interior of the school has been absolutely uh, crucial in this mindset that we've created here. And I, I'm happy to have a quick discussion on that, Simon, if that's another question you want to. You pl- please do. I'm di- dying to know more about that, actually. We have several partnerships that we've got going. One of them is with a company called Space Zero, who are UK-based. Uh, and they are a company who who design and create 
uh, inspiring interior spaces, uh, predominantly for education. Um, the idea being that if you have an interior space which uh, a child, when they walk into, from a, a visual standpoint, from a sound standpoint, from a texture and feel standpoint, it's inspiring to the child, they will automatically engage and feel kind of more comfortable to it. But it's also for the teachers too. So space area in all of our spaces in the school, and it's, it's not a cheap thing to do, and I don't mean that in terms of finance but in terms of the planning and the kind of logistics to get that done. Every single space in our school is designed by Space Zero to, to create an engaging learning space. And you can see from our website, you can go to the website and have a look and see some of the visuals that are there. But the idea is, you know, you won't see rows of tables with the teacher standing at the front in the chalk and talk scenario. Teachers take ownership of the learning spaces. They can, they can be in the rounds, they can be linear, they can be standing up, sitting down. We have various kind of... Um, ergonomically uh, designed uh, sensory areas in all the classrooms, especially in the primary school, oh, wow. which the teachers can work with. But there's, there's still, um, you know, knowledge being delivered as you would in any other school. But I think it's time for schools to review the way they design themselves. You know, learning has changed quite quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, there's as much as a lot of parents are kind of wary of things such as screen time. All of our classrooms have a, a large interactive screen. That's just standard fare, like a pen or a pencil nowadays. But how the teachers use the technology support is very much dictated for how the environment allows it. So if you want a group of children um, over at one side, for example, working on their tablets, but the other side are doing a more traditional approach, shall I say, to uh, to the work that they're doing, the, the classroom space allows that. And it's not just about a color palette. You know, I mean, I'm a design guy. I'm a design teacher. So it's not about that. It's about the ergonomics of the room, as I said, the texture makes a big difference. So a lot of children come into schools for the first time, the feel of the walls, the feel of the, of the furniture that's been deliberately kind of sewn into this, the psychology of design by Space Zero. Mm. And so we're very fortunate to have that, Simon. Chatsworth have used them before in some of their school designs, but I think we're very unfortunate to have them uh, committed to the whole of our school from not just the learning spaces, but everything from our you know, environments for the swimming pools, the, the main receptions and parent cafe, right through to, uh, you know, our interior gym, you know, that and sports hall. So they, they are involved in the design from the start. It makes a big difference. I'm just having a look on your website while you're talking. I can see exactly the kind of things that you're talking about. And for anyone listening, it's beachhallschoolriad.com. Uh, I mean, some of these workspaces just look fantastic for children. They really Thank you, do. Simon. Yeah, and it's, as I said, it's, it's, it's not about the finance. It's about having a vision there. So it's probably easier for me as a founding principal. And, you know, it's uh, as, as a design and technology trained teacher who's been teaching design for 37 years or so now, I get it. It's an easy investment to make as long as you've got everyone on board. You've got to have buy-in from all stakeholders. Design is not about the colour of the walls or the or, you know the colour of the tables. It's inherently about the psychology of learning space that the children kind of get hooked into. But they need to see smiling, happy teachers. We all get grumpy. We all have bad days at the office. We know that. But when kids see a grumpy face, that impacts on on, on their well-being is the wrong word, but their, their state of play at that moment in time. But if teachers are inspired and happy by mm. their work environments... It follows that the kids kind of get that vibe too. And so you get a really good mojo going on. And that's kind of what's pushing this. If you've got a happy mojo and a good vibe, students want to study. They want to study. We get better results. They, they gain their knowledge and so on. And when I say results, I'm not talking about marks out of 10 in some test or something silly, but I'm talking about they're gaining the endeavor they put into their own self-learning. And that's massively important for what we're doing. 
So this approach in school is is very different to what most schools tend to be doing. Do you think this would have been a harder thing to roll out in the school if you were taking over from an existing principal, if, if, if there were lots of existing staff who maybe would push back on anything like this just because it's different to what they've done in the past? Very good question, Simon. Anybody has a vision when you're leading something for the first time, be it a school or anything else, you, you, you have to have buy-in from the people in your team but you won't get a hundred percent you know ag agreement on things but as long as you've had the discussion and dialogue and you've shown what it is that you are aspiring towards they can at least see elements of why you're doing it even if there is you know there's not total uh, agreement on that and i think that's the key if you were coming into a new school into an existing school let's say a a school that's of, of, of 25 years standing or something like that and you know it, i can understand that it's any aspect of leadership becomes slightly more considered shall we say is that the right word yeah probably considered in terms of how you lay that across to your team so they can you get buy-in from them because if you don't have a look and see how you can improve upon something the worst that happens is you come back to where you were which is not a bad place but if you don't try then you you may question well could we have could we have done that slightly better but exactly the same token and i, I take this from a again a design project kind of standpoint if a child you test something and it breaks for example whatever it might be the evaluation process is far, far easier to do because you can you can see quite quickly visually and otherwise why that particular product hasn't worked. Or, and so the evaluation is good. If something is quite successful and it's never, never broken, there's no reason why you should not still evaluate it to see if you can improve upon it. But some people take the idea that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And there are arguments for that too, but there's nothing to stop you looking in. So going back to your point, in an established school with an established team of staff, it's always good to reinvigorate, I think, and kind of put some, you know, drop some thoughts and things out there and, and, and give some alternative directions to consider, even if you come back to where you were. But I think that's important because it keeps everyone chomping at the bits and healthy in terms of wanting to develop and be the best that you can be, given your resources, your staffing, your, you know, from a school perspective, the, you know, the, the nature of your clientele, your parents, your, 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 your child base. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it's healthy to push. But it's easier from a new school perspective because everyone's coming in as pioneers. And I said, this is this is my third my third new start school, although it's the first one I've been accountable for in a way as, as a founding head. The, the other two that I've been involved with, the spirit from the staff, the type of staff you get on board for a brand new school, it's just, it really is inspiring. It makes your job quite easy. And also you mentioned the partnership yes. with Chatsworth. How does that help you? How does that help the staff? How does that help the pupils as well? Very good point. I mean, Chatsworth not only established, but they're, they're well recognized in the industry. I mean, they, they win awards and things, but they have, uh, so Anita, Anita Gleave who drives this uh, with, a, with, a t with her team there. They have a passion for education. It's about it's about the child first and foremost. And I know it's a, it may sound a twee thing to, to say, but I totally get that. It, it's you know we're doing this for the children in our care, and the, what Chatsworth bring bring to us as a school overseas as an operator, they, they they bring operational diligence, they bring guidance, they're a soundboard for us to go back to, uh, and and they're a steering, they're kind of a guiding light in terms of how the new school goes, in terms of establishing policies and so on and so forth. Because as a new school, you don't have heritage. You don't have heritage in, in your policies. You don't have heritage in your procedures. So what Chatsworth bring is a, a really deep-rooted kind of library of experience there from all the schools they have in their group, which we can then kind of, in, in a nice way, cherry-pick from to give us a foundation stone. There's no point in reinventing the wheel. But some things we have had to reinvent because the Saudi kind of guidelines that we need to adhere to do not exist in the UK or elsewhere. So we have to do a, um, a blending of, of these. And that, that's been a really 
great experience for everyone involved in the team here, not here, but at Chatsworth as well, to get an understanding of how education um, can be grown outside. And I remember you need to talking to me about it. She was saying, you know, she did have pushback from, you know, various uh, people, investors saying that Saudi is not a great idea for, for a whole range of reasons. And we've proven that that's not the case at all. It's it not only is a success, but it's embraced in, in what we're doing. And um, the support we've had on the ground here has been absolutely you know, remarkable. You know, it's, it's such a lovely people and such a lovely culture. And we're enjoying the ride so far, Simon. It strikes me, David, that you've really embraced the Saudi culture, the, the Saudi Arabia as a country, as a kingdom. Um, tell me something about your, your own background. I mean, have, have you worked in, I mean, you, you mentioned about working in other schools beforehand. W were they in the UK or were they overseas as well? <laughs> that's a very good, another good question, Simon. You're doing well at this. That's three good questions. I'm impressed. We've mm -hmm. got, um, <laughs> it's... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was born in the UK, but then very early on with my parents who wanted to travel, went overseas. We ended up in Hong Kong where I spent all my own education. So I grew up in Hong Kong in an international school, uh, Island School, ESF, just putting it out there for all my team. And then I came back to UK to study a four-year B.Ed. in uh, education degree for design and technology for secondary. Worked in the UK in independent schools for about almost a decade, I think, and then bounced to my first new build, which was down in France, near Toulouse with Airbus. We were building a brand new school down there. So okay. that was my first involvement of internationalism, apart from my own schooling, of being involved in an international context, in a new culture, in a new country. My wife is French, but we actually met at Croydon Station, don't ask. And uh, so being down there was really good for us. We had a decade down there. We bounced back to the UK because my eldest daughter wanted to change. She wanted A-levels, not IB. Absolutely cool. So we, we moved for our, you know, for our daughter's education. And then from there, bounced to Switzerland, where I had... I think nine years, uh, five years down in Geneva and four years up near Saint Moritz. And my first, when I first went to Switzerland, again, it was with North Anglia Group and we were doing a brand new school there, down near the lake, uh, Lake Le Mans, Lake Geneva. So that was uh, my first experience of, a, dare I say, a group schools, North Anglia, building a, a brand new school to cater for the market there. And so then bouncing to Riyadh for me, you know, the, the idea of going into another culture and country excites me. It's not a, I don't see it any way, I'm not cautious about it. Uh, I actually really love doing that um, as it stands right now. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been, it's been wonderful. I love culture. I love people. But what I love most about this is as I, coming back to what we said earlier, it's about doing it for the kids in our care and whatever country you're going to, whatever school, you know, the, the kids are beautiful because they have, they're not yet kind of bludgeoned into a thought process, you know, kids are kids wherever they are. So what you impart, what you inspire and how you engage with them, be it through love, trust, passion, education, they take it on board. It's like a sponge. And that's, that's really it. It's the adults that we have to educate in some of these things, because they're the ones that kind of put in the, the, the limiters and, 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 and the, you know, the, the, the stop points, so to speak. But I suppose what, what drives me, and I know a lot of my colleagues in, in the international circuit is not only experiencing culture, because travel and everything is wonderful, but it's engaging and supporting and giving uh, guidance and, and a future to the kids in our care. That's that's what should be the driver. And if it's not your driver, then don't do the job. You know, David, I, I'm loving the way you're talking about the country, the way you're talking about the school, the way you're talking about the children as well. Um, if anybody's listening to this and wants to find out more, is it best if they come to the school through the website? They come through the website. They can find me. Probably easiest is through LinkedIn. I think I'm quite active on LinkedIn, uh, Simon, so they can see my... Uh, not so much my profile, but my contact details uh, on Twitter as mm -hmm. well. If they go on uh, Twitter, I, I, Mr. David, look up Mr. David. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and that type of thing. But LinkedIn, Ardles, A-R-D-L-E-S, I uh, go through that. 
and contact me that way or through the website absolutely but uh yeah happy to talk happy to take questions happy to engage and have dialogue because at the end of the day all schools are in the same you know we're here for the same reason and uh mm. it's, it's good to talk awesome well we'll put links to all of those places in the show notes but in the meantime thank you for being here and thank you for giving up your time and talking to us today simon it's been an absolute pleasure and hopefully we'll do it again soon so that was David Ardley, founding principal at Beach Hall School Riyadh, talking to us about life in the kingdom and, importantly, life at school. David, a huge thank you to you for giving up your time to talk to us today. Now, you can find out more about the school by visiting the website I mentioned in the recording. That's beachhallschoolriyadh.com, link in the show notes as well. And our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.